It's time for the Mirror Football Podcast with Sam Matterface. This week on the Mirror Football Podcast, Kane nominated for the Ballon d'Or. Liverpool face United as the Premier League returns once more. Why watching one England team isn't a bore. And call Chris Brunt if you cannot score. Well, those that know, know. Uh, we are in London with Big Tom the producer and Darren Lewis of The Mirror as we discuss Christmas not being cancelled, a tiny World Cup roundup because we know Tom hates it. Uh, Carlton Palmer joins us live from Shanghai. And are we about to see an Indian player in the Premier League for the first time? It's all on this week's Mirror Football Podcast. And if you want to subscribe, do it via iTunes. Just press on your podcast app and you can subscribe through that rather easily. And that way, you know, you can leave us a rating or a review as well, which we would always appreciate. In the pod this week, uh, Big Tom, the producer, you are right? Yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, I've hardly seen you in the preparation for this because you've been watching the Star Wars trailer five, six times this morning. You I woke have, up this morning, the first thing you did was watch the, the Star Wars trailer. Why, 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 why? Because it's, it's compulsive viewing. <laughs> It's, it's my inner child. You were compulsively viewing it, I yes. Was. That's absolutely true. And will continue true. to until December. And then he was trying to work out all the plot lines that he'd get from the trailer, which was completely <laughs> mad. Darren Lewis is here as well. Hi, you're right. I'm well. It's lovely well. to see you. We're in a coffee shop in London, and it's it's a beautiful day, isn't I'm it? I'm very impressed that you've managed to find this place. Well, very, you told me to nice find somewhere thing. near where you were operating your business this morning, and I'm I thought we, you up. We, you we up. should we should be, we should accommodate you. Well, after Lithuania, which it was a nice place, nice hosts. No, Shame about the game. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's nice to be back in London. And, yeah, yeah, like Well, it's lovely to see you. The first section of this pod will quickly go through some of the latest uh, news stories that are doing the rounds. The second section will be devoted to the English Classico. Mm. I, think it, I think it's such a big game. It deserves, it deserves a whole uh, yeah. section. I, and also, I have realised why I'm so short. Um, Go on. I've got a Scottish ga- grandmother. Ah, <laughs> genetics. So, so uh, at least I've realised that today. That you two obviously Do. got some Slovenian in you. Gate. Was that? Or, or have done at some stage. Um, because well, you're, you're much much bigger than me, aren't you? It's so all to do with that, it, isn't it? it, 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 it. Will Nicola Sturgeon, if you don't get this podcast right first time, will she campaign for you to do it all over again? I would have thought so. <laughs> That's the way things work nowadays, isn't it? Um, the nominations are in for the Ballon d'Or. They were announced last night. Harry Kane, N'Golo Conte, Eddie Hazard, um, Phil Coutinho, Kevin De Bruyne, Sadio Mane, all nominated from the Premier League. But none of them are going to get a look in, are they? Because Harry Kane is 100-1 to 1 to win the Ballon d'Or. Cristiano Ronaldo is 33 to 1 on Messi's 12 to 1 there's only one winner Oof, Messi 12 to 1 that 12 to 1 50 to 1 for Neymar 12 to 1 about one of the greatest players of our generation I mean I'm not a betting man but as good as Ronaldo has been and he has been magnificent you still can't tell me that Messi is a long shot for the best player in the world prize can you I mean, 12 to 1. I don't think Messi's been 12 to 1 for anything in his anything, life, has he? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Maybe taking a free kick inside his own half to score. Possibly. And that's about it, really. What do you think? Um, I think that it's already done dusted because he won the Champions League again. And I think you have to lead your team to some sort of glory now in order to win that award. I remember Jose Mourinho a few years ago saying a very similar thing. The, those awards invariably go to the people who've won something. Which is Everything not necessarily is the facade. The mark of excellence, because you could be in a fantastic team and be one cog in that wheel and then get nominated for that. But um, Harry Kane has probably led Tottenham Hotspur for 
in the same vein as Cristiano Ronaldo has led Real Madrid, but he's scored more goals over the course of 2017. than 43 the... goals he's scored in this calendar year. Only Messi has scored more goals so far this season. So Ronaldo's the third highest scorer in Europe, and yet he's going to win the Ballon d'Or. I think lots of people look at it in different ways, because non-Spurs fans say, why has Kane been nominated when he's basically had two good seasons? I would argue that he does have that quality. He's got the consistency, of course, but he scores at the highest level. He scores in the Champions League. He scores scruffy goals, great goals, big teams, small teams. He is on the way to to becoming a superstar. And I would argue that Bale was world-class when he was at Spurs. He went on to then be surrounded by top players and then reached the pinnacle. He's now won three Champions League in the last four years. But I don't think world-class depends on who you play for. I think if you have that world-class ability and you prove it, then yeah, you should be considered for the biggest prizes. And I think uh, Kane does justify his place in those lists. And also, the Ballon d'Or is not the award for the player who has played the best over the last three or four seasons. It is the best player in the world right now. Right so now. having two or three good seasons, I mean, you can still qualify but just have one because it's about being the best player at this moment in time. And to be honest with you, when you watch Harry Kane and you see the way he plays yeah. and, and the way he carries his country and he carries his team so well, you have to st- stand back and admire him. He's been absolutely sensational. Do you, do you know, and that, that, that's a small part of the reason why I think he justifies his place. Ronaldo, he's so influential for club and country. Messi, so influential for club and country. OK, you could argue both players are surrounded by some quality players. Kane is so influential for his club. You know, his goals helped him to challenge for the title and to get back into the Champions League last season. Not Lots of people would say they've got a wonderful defence at Spurs and that would be right. But I think as far as England are concerned, I know a lot of my colleagues wrote at the weekend, had England not had, had Lithuania had Harry Kane, mm. they probably would have won on Sunday. That's how bad that game was and that's how close those two teams were. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. And also, I mean, Kane's joined that echelon of player where you just, you're looking at the score updates. Messi, you're expecting to score. Ronaldo, you're expecting to score. Kane, you're expecting yeah. to score. You're, yeah. expect, you're expecting to yeah. see his name just yeah. come up on the video printer if that's what you're watching from 1990. Uh, what plans have you got for Christmas? Um, it will just be a nice family Christmas. We'll obviously have to go and cover games, but I'm hoping to have the time to be able to buy some Christmas presents at the last minute on Christmas Eve like I normally do. What about you, Tommy? Have you got anything planned on Christmas Eve, going to a last minute panto, um, maybe? Well, are you talking Arsenal-Liverpool? Or? Well, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not going to be on at four o'clock on Christmas Eve. Richard Scudamore, the chief executive chairman of the uh, uh, Premier League, has announced today that there'll be no four o'clock game on Christmas Eve which I think people were concerned about because Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday usually the big game of the weekend is 4 o'clock there were some potentially massive massive games in that slot that were available and I suppose the supporters and reporters are pretty relieved with the decision (laughs) well more importantly the supporters um, because I think there has been a contempt shown for supporters for a long time in terms of the scheduling of matches and to expect them to travel on the day before Christmas Day is was just remarkable. I cannot believe they ever even considered it. Yes, there is a worldwide television audience that they're looking at, but you know, th- there has to be some sanctity for the needs of people who invest financially in the game. There has to be some kind of consideration for the people who would have to get up early and travel all over the country. It would have been a remarkable and a very poor decision to have that game, and I think common sense has prevailed. Uh, I know you hate international football, but England are brilliant to watch. Okay, well, there's, there's 
bound to be some sort of uh, reveal you. here. So He's talking about on. the under 17. I am talking about the <laughs> under 17, <laughs> the World Cup. Um, and we might have a little bit more on that a little bit later on. But Angel Gomez's uh, goal was pretty special. Jaden Sancho was mightily impressive uh, in their game when they won 4-0 against uh, Chile. And that Jaden Sancho being mightily impressive as a big waste truck goes beside us here in uh, Houston. Well, we know shocked to viewers of the Youth Cup on ITV4, it's worth pointing out, because he's been great for a couple of years. Um, other great stories this week. Mo Salah scored twice as Egypt qualified mm. for the first time uh, since 1990 for a World Cup, which is absolutely remarkable. But also, the one great thing about that was the amount of social media video you've got yeah. from Egyptians all over the world celebrating this fantastic event for them. <laughs> See, international football is not boring. It's um, not boring. Not no, 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 but, but, you boring. Know, it's an important it's point you just touched on. I know you want to move on, Sam, but it's important to point out international football isn't boring England are boring England are boring to watch the hype around England is boring the the build up to all of these games is boring the the long drawn out debates over captaincy that people cannot stand it it's not that they don't so why do we cover it so much why is there 15 16 pages in a pull out on a because Monday they're our national team that's but, what but we there have are to other other for. stories aren't there there yeah, are but other we are, stories we are we are I know there's been this debate over the last 24 48 hours about why we don't cover uh, other countries around the world and devote space to them I'd like to see some of the papers outside of this country devote loads of space to the Republic of Ireland and Wales and see how far they get I think that we, as, 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 as national newspapers, it's our duty to cover a team that is well supported. I was in Lithuania, I saw the away stand, it was packed to the rafters. I wouldn't have spent money and told my missus we can't have this or that because we're saving up to go to Lithuania in October to watch England in a driving way. Absolutely. Rain. But those supporters did. It, it, it matters to football supporters. There is a large number of supporters in this country to whom it doesn't matter but it doesn't mean international football doesn't matter it just means England are doing well enough okay uh, worth pointing out that uh, away stand in Vilnius was the size of a temporary stand at the Whitdean yeah, um, it probably was, but even so, they were lucky <laughs> hey, listen, to get that many people packing it. I, I would never slag with the England supporters because they are fantastic. If you go around Europe and look at the attendances, whenever there's an international break, the England support is always fantastic. Incredible. And Scotland's was pretty good last Thursday night as well. Uh, just a quick whiz round some of the other world issues. Ghana protesting because uh, they've been eliminated mm. from World Cup qualifying. They think they were denied by a South African referee who ruled out a fully legitimate goal mm. in the 93rd minute. Shocking, shocking decision. Player was clearly onside uh, when he beat the offside trap to score. The referee had an absolute shocker, but as we know, they never changed these decisions, but I would not expect to see that referee officiating a, a, a FIFA match again. And if I do, well... Hmm. <laughs> okay. Uh, Italy have to uh, qualify via the playoffs for the World Cup. The Netherlands are useless. It is official yep. to the point where I said as much on Twitter after commentating on them on Saturday, and some which uh, back uh, they're still better than England, which shows you how bad they are because that isn't even true. Because they've not qualified. No. They, I mean, they play even worse football than England. Uh, Argentina are struggling. USA might have just about done enough but I'm sure we can get excited about Russia another time because folks the Premier League is back this week the Mirror Football Podcast subscribe on iTunes via the podcast app and get a fresh Mirror Football Podcast as soon as it lands no doubting the big match of the week it's the game that is the biggest in world football now I've done this game quite a few times now for Talk Sport and I always point out to people every time if you go through the statistics more people watch this game than watch El Clasico more people across the world yeah, watch this game wow. than the Super Bowl. Wow. It is the game 
of football, of club football, in the world. In fact, apart from maybe the World Cup final, it is the most watched sporting event in the world. I have to say, I went to Singapore during the summer and um, Liverpool were taking part in one of the pre-season friendlies in the Asia Trophy. The queue was around the stadium, down the block. I posted some footage on social media at the time. There is a massive following for Manchester United, for Liverpool, right around the world. And so that would bear out in, 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 in your numbers. And I can understand why it's such a big game, an important game. You, Mourinho has put United, or is putting United back to where they were. Mm. They now look as good as the side that they once were. But Klopp is making Liverpool sexy again. I know you're going to click that up and use it. Please don't. But <laughs> <laughs> There's the trailer. <laughs> but he is. It's, they're wonderful to watch going forward. Dave Maddox about to talk about the fact that... Um, Defensively, he doesn't share the concerns many people do. Listen, I, I, I kind of agree with him. There is obviously an issue there, but I think just overall, Liverpool are good to watch. I love watching them under Jurgen Klopp, and I think this is going to be a cracking game. I think Manchester United have started the season really well. I thought last season they were over-criticised. I think this season they've got a real chance of competing for the Premier League because they're a lot more disciplined than Manchester City in terms of defensively, although I know they've done very well in that. But the way they play the game is a lot more disciplined. They're cooler in more dramatic circumstances. And I think going down the line, Jose Mourinho's got the course and distance experience that he'll end up getting the job done. But I may be proved wrong on that. You must be excited watching your team, Liverpool. Are you nervous about about this. Why is this game so important to Liverpool fans and Manchester United fans? Well, it's important for so many reasons. I mean, the, the, the top two most successful teams in the in the game's history in this country um, coming together, as well as the social and political history of the Manchester Ship Canal bypassing the the, the local economy from Liverpool to Manchester. So many uh, other regional reasons why the game's important. But I think for Liverpool fans, it's this game's come at the right time because of the players missing because let's face it if we're going to be completely honest Manchester United are a better team than Liverpool this year by a long way as a as a whole team but without Pogba might not be better to watch not better to watch but a better team and a team that's more capable of challenging for the title but without Pogba without Fellaini and with people like Mane with something to prove because he was quite subdued in that game against Newcastle coming back from a, a little bit of a rest for his suspension but he was uncharacteristically subdued in that game um, Mo Salah coming back on a high yeah, as long be, as he's not exhausted he'll be buzzing <laughs> won't he? he'll be buzzing he'll and be Coutinho zone, for the nomination for Ballon d'Or there's a lot of excitement coming into this game and it being at Anfield that is why I'm more optimistic than I would be for this game um, they will miss Carrick they will miss Pogba they will miss Fellaini Rashford and Lukaku have had knocks over the international period. Jose Mourinho is hating international football almost as much as you are, Tom. It's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, Sam, I, I look at Liverpool and I, I remember when they played Menu. I think it was last year, when everyone expected a real tear-up and Mourinho parked the bus and Klopp couldn't get past it. And it, we, we called it Red Monday. It was basically Dead Monday, wasn't it? Mm. Because it was such a, an anticlimactic game. I think that this will be different because Mane is a player who is just so good at getting in behind. Uh, Salah, if he is not too exhausted emotionally as well as physically from the week's exertions and qualifying for the World Cup, I think those two players will be a big, big threat. But there is no better manager at setting up to nullify attacking talents than Mourinho. So it will be the irresistible force against the immovable object. My favourite ones of these games that I've done include the, the Dirk Cout hat-trick 
which was a, a fantastic yeah. moment. Mm. And Luis Suarez played brilliantly in yeah, that game. Yeah. It was a, an excellent encounter. The Berbatov hat-trick, do you remember that? At Old Trafford, it was fantastic. Magnificent. Uh, but the one I'll never forget is when Steven Gerrard scored two penalties and missed another one. Yes. And then they pulled out that banner at, at Old Trafford. David Moyes is a football genius. I mean, the one thing <laughs> that is great about this game is, is that usually these are amongst the best teams yes. in the country. Yes. But also, there is a serious rivalry between the two. And that makes it a different game. It makes it a different experience, it, a different event. It does. And, and, and I am hoping now that Mourinho has what you would regard as his team, allowing, of course, as you rightly said, for the injuries to Fellaini and to Pogba, that he goes into the game with a more positive attitude than he had last year. He goes into it saying, look, we are Man United. We are going to take the game to our opponents. We're not setting out to stop. Liverpool because we see ourselves as the superior team. Given all of the, what you've just described about the history of the tradition and, and the expectation as well surrounding Man United because there is this season. We do expect him to do better in terms of the title race. They are a team that have set their stall out. They do have the most prolific scorer in the Premier League so far and the most expensive. I think it's going to be, I said before, a cracking game, but I think United will put up a better showing than they did in this fixture last year. Martin Atkinson is the referee. It's probably the best appointment they could have made, I think. Um, Jose had a little bit of a nibble at Michael Oliver <coughs> last season. Martin is one of the best, if not the best, so I don't think either would have too many complaints, will they? No, no. I mean, you, you just need a strong referee in those, those games, but it might have lost a bit of its physicality with those absentees from yes. Manchester United with yeah. no Fellaini it might have been more combustible than it actually yeah. I don't know Ander Herrera is a little bit naughty every he now can, and again yeah, he can have a little dig can't he but I think Fellaini is a, is a big miss because our, uh, Mourinho is a pragmatist as we all know yeah. um, and if it's not going his way Fellaini is very much his plan B um, able to go in there mix it throw his elbows about did I say that um, and, and no. you know and, and maybe get the full nut onto a couple, one or two players. So I think as far as you know, Fellaini is concerned, he will in particular be a big miss. But I still can see the rather niggly, spiteful Herrera being able to just throw his weight about a bit as well in the fixture. Let's get the very latest from David Maddock, who joins us uh, from Merseyside now. Hi, David. Hi there. Um, so it's a massive game for both these two teams. And when you look at Manchester United's record so far this season, you would expect them to be favourites, I think, um, especially with the way that Liverpool defends. What's the feeling in the northwest? Because Manchester United do have some injury worries. They do. It's interesting you say United should be favourites because there is a, there is a, a counter-argument that says United have not really played anyone yet. And when they have played decent size against Everton, for instance, they ran out 4-0 winners, but they struggled. And actually, if Rooney had taken his chances, Everton probably would have won that game. So maybe this is the first test for United and it'll be more interesting than, than perhaps the form guide suggests. David, as we both know, um, Klopp's been under a bit of pressure. If he loses at the weekend, do we expect to be writing or, or discussing the pressure on Klopp? Uh, well... He's only. I think they've lost one game this season, so it's it's not really been as perhaps as bad as 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 people are making out. And you know, from a distance, you you look at Liverpool and you think, oh, they've struggled a bit. But actually, they've been playing some amazing football. They really have. It's been incredibly exciting to watch. And and you know, I watched that uh, that Wales against the Republic of Ireland game uh, last night, 
and, and people and, and I've been hearing about oh Liverpool need to defend they need to defend well um, they're, 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 although that's their downfall but Republic of Ireland defended brilliantly last night they were absolutely brilliant defensively but it was terrible to watch it was the worst game of the world in the world yeah. if that is what the future of football is if that's what that's what Gary Neville wants what what Jamie Carragher wants well fine but I don't want to watch that I prefer to watch Liverpool and and how exciting they are and as I said they've actually only lost one game this season and I think they're close to clicking and when they do you'll see a really good team I, I, I make you right in terms of the fact it's not as bad as people make out because if they had beaten Newcastle the previous Sunday before the international break, then they would have been in a situation where they would have been above Chelsea in the table. So it, it can't be as bad as all that, Darren. Yeah, they'd have been on the same points as Spurs and everyone's saying how great Spurs are. So and they and and they should have won at Newcastle. Let's face it. And and it was the, the goal they conceded. People say it was a bad goal, but it was incredibly unlucky. <laughs> and those things do happen. You said he didn't um, mean it. <laughs> you know, well, I think that's the only way he was going to score as well, wasn't it? <laughs> All season. Like he was going to score when he went through. But, I mean, Liverpool are not that far away. And actually not quite as bad defensively as, as everyone makes out. Um, lots of people use the record of Rodgers and compare it to Klopp's and suggest that they're similar. But as someone who's covered Liverpool for many years... You, you, can you just tell us what the differences are? I think they're much better to watch going forward than Klopp's, uh, so than than Rogers' side was. Even allowing, obviously, for that special season where Suarez, Sterling, and, and and Sturridge were ripping it up. I think there are more points of attack in the current front six. I mean, is it better for you covering Liverpool now, watching them? Um, I, it, it's interesting because I've been watching Liverpool since uh, the 90s, really, and. There was the Roy Evans period, but which was very exciting. After that, Liverpool have had a lot of pragmatic managers, the Julier era, the Benitez era, and the likes of Hodgson. Um, even Kenny, when he came back, they, they were built on defence first. And then, you know, they weren't really boring like some Premier League sides now, but they weren't the most exciting. So when Rodgers came in, it was a bit of a breath of fresh air. And obviously they had the Suarez season, which was incredible and and that was amazing to watch that was a season from Suarez that you know I don't think I'll ever see again but but in in Klopp's team there there maybe are as, as Darren says more points of attack more more uh, flowing football that that, that kind of is, is incredibly creative what they don't have perhaps is that, that I mean the, the Rogers team had Suarez and Sturridge scoring goals and at the moment the goals are shared around but there's no prolific goal scorer I think if somebody clicks I think Salah is close to clicking in terms of goal scoring if he clicks if Firmino clicks then I think you'll see a lot of goals from Liverpool and I, I, I can see them you know actually being up there challenging this season I really can that's brilliant David thank you just one more thing before we let you go who do you think will win on Saturday? <laughs> That's a really interesting question because for all that I've been bigging up Liverpool and I do think they're close to clicking, I think Mourinho has has the edge on Liverpool. You've seen the way he plays at, at Anfield. And you know what? If ever there's a team that is designed to, to play boringly, play de depressingly and sneak a 1-0 win, it's a Mourinho team. So you know what? I'm going to say United will win it. OK. Cheers, David. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. <laughs> on the go, on your phone... On the website, the Mirror Football Podcast. 
It's time for Big Tom's Big News. Uh, what have you got for us this week? Well, this week I'm looking at the Indian national team. Last week, India played their first World Cup match in their home under-17 competition, which they lost 3-0 to the United States. Many will ask whether a country of 1.2 billion, a fast-growing economy and an increasing appetite for the game will lead to an elite national team in the future. You've covered a bit of football in India. Um, what, what, what was it like for you? No one turned up. Okay. It was it was great televisually. People wanted to watch it um, on television. We did futsal. We did it with established superstars. We had Ronaldinho's. We had uh, Ryan Giggs. We had Paul Scholes. We had Cafu turn up for the tournament. It was great. Um, and it was really fun to do. Uh, but no one really turned up at the venues. Everybody just turned up for... Uh, Everybody just tuned in on the television. 50, 60 million people watching on television, which is an amazing figure. Wow. It is, it's huge. Yeah. But no one turned up at the venue. I heard that for the Indian Super League games, in Goa in particular, they were getting huge, huge attendances. But I didn't see that when I was there. Okay. Well, I'm a long way to go then. But this prompted me to look at the Indian national team because I've not really known much about them in their history. India have actually qualified for one World Cup before. In 1950 they won a place to compete in Brazil but they withdrew. The reasons for their withdrawal are interesting. Some say it was the cost of travel and a lack of practice. Others claim it was because they preferred the Olympics over the World Cup. One contentious reason offered from some football historians was that FIFA had banned players from playing barefoot which was India's preferred, uh, well, their preferred way of playing at the time. Uh, whichever the genuine reason, it should also be pointed out that India only qualified that year because the other teams in their qualifying group withdrew. Nah. But the central question is, can that wealth and a golden age of interest in football in India and countries like China um, eventually lead to football in greatness or are World Cups forever to be dominated by Europeans and South I, Americans? I, I, I think if you look at World Cup qualifying this time around, the balance of power is shifting. You talked about Egypt earlier, Iceland have qualified as well for the World Cup. Some of the smaller nations um, are starting to rise up, they're developing players. I think when you look at India and the infrastructure and the finance they have over there, the interest that they have over there, the, the under 17, uh, I think it's the World Cup, isn't it? Yeah, Out, it's happening started, at the moment, yeah. which has just started. They've got wonderful crowds over there. Um, I think it's only a matter of time before there are good players and there is a misconception that young uh, Indian players, sports aspiring sportsmen, go into cricket and all the huge misconception. Yeah. They are there is a big interest in football, and I think that it is only a matter of time before we see the rise of, of, of Indian football and good players being able to fulfil their potential. True story. When I was working in um, the Premier Football League a year and a half ago, I investigated the possibility of starting an agency to think about bringing Indian footballers over to this country because there were one or two out there that I thought, you seriously got a chance in terms of physicality, the way they look, the way they played the game, obviously the, the practice day in, day out, mm. just like everybody else across the globe, played in the street, play uh, in pens that have been specially constructed, they've got good facilities out there. Mm. I, just, I just think that it's a matter of time before someone makes the breakthrough mm. into the Premier League. Think about it, Sam. In 1990, when... Cameroon burst onto the sea and they were a joy to watch and they had the freedom and the abandon and uh, it, it was fantastic to watch them and it was a huge surprise to, 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 to Europe basically and, and, mm. and to the established if you like footballing world that there was this continent that was producing wonderful players and wonderful football you know um, 
what, why can't it happen again? It will happen again, I'm sure of it. Well, those three nations, the United States, you said, were struggling for qualification. Yeah, they'll get there. In, India Just and China, about. these are massive economies. And yeah. and the what's in, what's different, they've always been quite large. India kind of grown more than the other two more recently. But the appetite for football or soccer is far greater than it ever has been in those three countries, I think. More Big Tom's Big News next week. But Klopp is making Liverpool sexy again. The Mirror Football Podcast. Right, let's talk to the former England, Sheffield Wednesday, Leeds, Forest, Southampton. The list goes on and on and on. Carlton Palmer is with us. Thanks for joining us, Carlton. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Good morning. And you're in China at the moment, aren't you? You're doing academy football. You've got your own academy there. And also you're trying to bring through a new generation of kids. What's happening? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, if somebody said to me 10, 12 years ago, I'd be in China coaching, I would have said, you know, you need to get yourself certified. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's circumstances that Lucy and I found ourselves out here. Lucy's uh, head of uh, lower prep three, four and five. So we just felt it was the right opportunity to come now while the kids are at uni and we have this uh, period of time time to travel and do this before the kids start settling down so it's a great opportunity um the the government now have made it compulsory in the last six months that football has to be played in schools they're throwing a lot of money at grassroots football and schools football now you know and uh, they want to be a force to be reckoned with so it's an exciting time to be here at the moment and you've got a book out at the moment as well haven't you an autobiography looking back on your career it's called it is what it is. What was the reason behind the title? Well, we were on holiday in Maldives, uh, Lucy and, and some friends of ours, and, and it actually Lucy and, and Paul Muir came up with the with the title. I say it a lot. I, I mean, it's not it's not that I accept uh, whatever is going on. You know, like say for instance, racism. I don't I don't accept if somebody makes a racist comment, but I accept the situation. I do something about it and get on with it. So I always say, it is what it is, let's get on with it. Well, it's funny you should say that, because I recently did a show with John Barnes where we were talking about um, why there wasn't that many black managers in the Premier League. And, we, and he was saying, actually, it's a similar sort of barrier now uh, for white English coaches as it is for black managers. They're, they're almost left with a stigma that the English managers are, if you're English and you're a coach, then you're not going to be as good as a foreign coach. And it said that he, it's something that he feels black managers have gone through for a very long time. Why do you think that there's not that many black managers out there? Well, I disagree with John Barnes on that uh, 100%, right? Um, and, and my reason being is this. Um, I watched a film coming back on the plane just recently uh, when I was coming back to the UK to promote the book last weekend. Um, and I was, I was wondering, I was thinking of how can I portray what I want to say about racism without, uh, you know, other black people or seem to be racist as, as, as a black person being pro-black which I'm not, you know, I, I am black, I'm proud to be black. But so I watched this film called Hidden Figures and it, I just stumbled across it on the plane. And uh, it was about three uh, black women who were uh, doing the figures for NASA. They didn't just change it for black women, they changed it for white women because white women weren't working in NASA. So th these women had to run 40 minutes to go to the black toilet, because they couldn't use a white toilet, they had to sit at the back of the bus. When the first space shuttle went up, 
it was those women who did the numbers. So 63 years ago, right, they picked the best, which was three black women. So if that stood 63 years ago, then I'd like to believe that stands now. And if I went for a job, and if I do go for a job, I don't look at the fact that I'm black. I look at the fact that am I the best candidate for the job? You know, you look at Dwight York. He's gone for the Villa job. You be honest with me. Is this is this a black thing or is this a white thing? Steve Bruce goes for the job, four promotions, and Dwight York goes through the job, no experience. What you're suggesting is is that it's got nothing to do with his race. It's got to do with the experience. Correct. So, so they chose Steve Bruce. Now, I'm not saying, do not get me wrong, and this is where sometimes people manipulate what you're saying. I'm not saying there isn't prejudice in, 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 in maybe black managers getting a job, but be the best. When you get the job, be good. Be good at what you're doing. And if you are the same as an English manager, if you're good enough at what you're doing, you will get the job. Um, I, I'm not saying it's a level playing field for all, but that's why my book's called It Is What It Is. So be the best. Just, you know, when, when I first started playing football, go back, there wasn't a lot of black players. I didn't hear the likes of John Barnes moaning then about opportunities for black players because John Barnes was wanted by every club in Europe and around the world. Why? Because he was one of the best footballers in the world. So... You know, if we're if we're going to get more black managers in the game, we've got to go do our, do the grassroots football like um, Essel Banks done at Burton, gotten promoted. He's ended up getting a job at Northampton, like Chris Uton has done. What are we going to do about it? The same as what we did years ago. That more black foot, foot, the more black people are successful in in playing football, the more chance of black players coming through, and that will be the same for management. I honestly believe that. Um, if you could tell us just some of the things that we should be looking out for in this book, because you're obviously someone who cares passionately about the game. You're obviously someone who's devoted their life to the game. Well, I mean, I've got to be honest with you. It was a difficult one because I, I, I'm, I'm 14 years retired. Why bring a book out now? Um, you know, so I wanted to bring... I'm not a, I'm not a massive name. Hence, uh, I go back to it is what it is. I accept I'm not going to sell a book like Beckham or Keane or somebody like that because I, you know... I, I haven't got that name or their achievements. So what I wanted to do was bring a book out that had a bit had a bit of meaning, had a bit of substance to it. Not you can go on Google and Google what where I played and what I did for my career. So I try and if young kids read the book, I try and tell them, don't worry about what other player people say. People it's easy to jump on the bandwagon, you know, and criticize somebody if they fail. Keep trying. You can achieve. I don't care who you are. If you set your stall out, you're prepared to work hard, you're prepared to sacrifice, you can achieve whatever you want to achieve. I talk about racism. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. But I talk about how I dealt with racism and how I do deal with racism now. I talk about, you know, getting divorced and the courts not helping me out because I've got a lot of people who follow me on Twitter and they think because I'm famous and, and not short of a few quid that it was any different for me. The courts didn't help me out. And, I, and, and I've, I've spoke about how I think no matter what happens in a relationship, both parties should put the kids first. There should never be an issue where the, the, the kids are used as, as, as tools. I do believe this. If you're totally honest with yourself, you can be successful in life and you can be happy. So you go for a job. Don't think, well, I've not got it because I'm black. 
think, well, am I good enough to get the job? And if that one doesn't work out, well, go again. Don't be disheartened about it. I mean, not being no disrespectful to John Barnes. I love John Barnes to death. I mean, he was a fantastic footballer, but he's had five jobs. Tell me which one he's been successful in. And I know he will say, well, other people lose their jobs and they get another job. Yeah, but we're not other people. We, we, we're black people and it's not, I don't say it's right, but then what I'm saying is do what you did as a football player, which he was the best. So I try and deal with a lot of these um, situations. Uh, I'll be honest about myself. Some of the bad things that happen are, 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 have come over drink. Um, so it, it's a very honest book and, and I'm happy with it. You know, I, when I nearly died last year, there were certain things I wanted to say. What was the situation when you nearly died? Well, Lucy tells me about four years ago, I, I don't really re recollect this, but I, I, I was, I, I, my heart was sort of racing and racing and racing. It happened about three or four times and then uh, over a space of about four years. And then I was playing Paul Parker, who's manager, had noticed something was wrong and I went across and he says, are you all right, CP? I said, no, I just feel a bit hot and sweaty. And he said, well, just sit down for a minute. And the, and the doctor come down and uh, next minute I was being rushed to hospital and uh, I woke up in the morning. Um, they had to paddle me twice in the night. Uh, and then subsequently I came back to Shanghai and ended up having a five and a half hour art operation. Well, that's that's an incredible story, Carlton. I mean, do, you, do you feel as though the book, writing the book has been a, a therapeutic experience for you then? It has because I never really looked back. You know, at the end of the day, I finished playing football, went straight into management, then was in TV work, then I was off to Dubai doing coaching and TV work. I never really stopped. And so it was It was nice. It was nice to put a, a close into a few chapters. But in the world I was brought up in, you know, you, you've got to be the best failure is not an option. So I, I, I've accepted my faults. Um, and it's nice to know where you are as a person and be happy with who you are and, and with, with what you've done in life up to now. Um, Carlton, a couple of quick ones for you. In terms of never wanting to foul, and you've spoken about the fact that you're a competitor, um, do people come up to you in the street and say, you're that guy off, come dine with me? <laughs> Lucy's laughing in the background. Yeah, some people do, yeah, some people do. And it's amazing, people watch me on that come dine with me and, and said, oh, I never realised you were that type of person. Um, but I said, but you don't know me. People have a perception. <laughs> I mean, when people read the book, they'll get a better understanding of who I am. What I want to get out to the people as well, that we, we are donating, uh, well, I actually donated 10% of the proceeds for the book. The publisher, to be fair, said he'd match me. So we are donating 20% of the, 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 the cost of the book to a, a charity in Sheffield called Cavendish uh, Cancer Care. This charity takes care of, care of the families of the deceased. And everybody thinks, well, they die. You know, the, the families need taken care of because although they're dead, their families still live. The Mirror Football Podcast. Thanks very much to Carlton Palmer, who uh, joins us from Shanghai. Darren Lewis from The Mirror has been listening to that. I, I thought one of the most interesting things that he said during that interview was the fact that he believes that as far as black managers are concerned, it is a meritocracy. He doesn't believe, he believes there's prejudice, there's no mm. doubt about that, but he doesn't believe that that's the reason why they're aren't so many black managers in the league. He, he believes it's a meritocracy and that if you have um, the ability and you are 
at the very best of your profession and you're, you give the very best of yourself, you will get the jobs and the opportunity. Do you believe that to be the case? No, I don't believe it to be the case. It's been frustrating listening to it, actually, because obviously my turn hadn't come up yet, so I couldn't interject. Um, but were I up alongside you uh, interviewing it, uh, interviewing Carl, I, I, I would have asked him. I would have said, look, how then do you account for the fact that we have uh, less than a handful of black managers in this country. I, I don't see how that number in 2017 backs up his argument. The idea that so many inexperienced non-black managers have managed to get jobs, keep jobs, fail in some jobs, move on to other jobs, whereas you've got capable black managers who have come through the system, played with distinction for their clubs, who have not been able to get a job I, I just don't see at any level how Carlton can, can make the claims he does. The wonderful thing about the Mirror is they encourage us all to have our own opinions and let me tell you, I disagree with, with Carlton's. Um, would you advocate the use of a Rooney rule in the Premier League and the Football League? Do you know, the thing about Rooney rule is that there, there are two things. Uh, just to be very brief, black managers would prefer there not to have be a Rooney rule at all. They would not want to have help. They would want to be picked for jobs, selected for jobs, for interview on merit. And that's what smashes up Carlton's argument because they can't even get their feet in the door. In terms of a Rooney rule, I think people choose, and I'm, I'm, I want to be very clear about this, people choose to misunderstand what a Rooney rule is. A Rooney rule is not a quota system. It's not a guarantee of jobs for black managers. It's a guarantee of interview, isn't it? It's a guarantee of an interview. A boss can then decide whether they want to take that person or not, or maybe recommend that individual to somebody else. It is not a quota system. But people who don't want it to be adopted, deliberately, in my opinion, misinterpret it as a quota system. And that's why it struggles to get off the ground. Can you see Carlton's point in some senses, in the fact that there aren't that many British, English, Irish managers in the league, yet one of them that is in the league is Chris Hewton, he's black. I can't see Carlton's point because we're not just talking about the Premier League, we're talking about the 92 clubs in the mm. English professional pyramid. And that's what the issue is. It's We're talking about English football, not just the Premier League. And if you were to say to me, in the Premier League there aren't that many black managers, but outside the Premier League there are 10, 20, mm. 30, a proportionate number when you consider the amount of talented leaders that have come, that we've seen over because the years because there are English, football. Irish, Welsh, Scottish managers outside absolutely, the top 20 absolutely but where are the black managers that we've known, loved, cheered on, admired where are those leaders, those strategists that we've seen lead players, support players I, I, I don't see them and I don't see an acceptable reason why we don't see them. That's why I would disagree with Carlton. Listen, I'm all for, I respect his opinion, uh, just like everybody else's, but I have to say I wholeheartedly disagree. And I don't think we should go along with the idea that at any level you can defend the idea of a meritocracy when the evidence tells us completely the opposite. Action, reaction, and the best columnist in analysis. This is Mirror Football. That's it from this week's uh, Mirror Football podcast. Uh, Darren, thank you very much for coming well, and joining us in the coffee me. shop. We've really appreciated it. Tom, I thank like you. Place. You do you do like this place. You even nice asked for a place. menu just a moment ago. Which, <laughs> I've got them here. But <laughs> you've got to admit, I mind up the Caesar salad. <laughs> I, was, I was a little bit surprised. It took you so long. <laughs> 
I won't let you down again. So. <laughs> Remember, you can subscribe to our uh, podcast on Audio Boom on Spotify and on iTunes as well. Please go and get uh, your podcast open, uh, your app open on the podcasts on if you've got uh, an iOS device and subscribe from there. Please. Um, uh, this week, I'll be doing... Uh, I'm taking Buddy to work day today. Tom's coming with me to Netherlands versus nice. Sweden, uh, which nice. is going to be good. I saw that image that you posted on Instagram, all those screens, and it just it was like Christmas for me. So, yeah, so you're going to come. Got, got, got come. <laughs> It'd be good for you to tear yourself away from the other screen, which you haven't been able to leave alone all day, which is the uh, the, the phone where you've been overplaying the Star Wars trailer. I'll keep watching that. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> and also, I'm going to go and find a stretching machine this week to see if I can get rid of those genetics. Yeah, a little bit taller. <laughs> That'll be good. Nurture uh, versus nature. Do you know where you are this weekend? I'm going to see Spurs against Bournemouth to see if they can finally win at the National Stadium, Wembley. And you? I'll be glued to Liverpool versus Man United. Mm, good luck. Thanks. Yeah. May the force be with you. <laughs> Thanks, Darren. <laughs> And that's it from this week's Mirror Football Podcast. Please leave us your comments on Twitter, your ratings as well on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. It's at Stay On Your Feet on Twitter if you want to get involved. But Klopp is making Liverpool sexy again. Tweet us your questions before every pod at Stay On Your Feet. The Mirror Football Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes via the podcast app and get a fresh Mirror Football Podcast as soon as it lands.